Oh, I think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when it came on? Oh, huge. Not- and I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the box with Serge Negus on FBI. radio.com to catch up on mornings or any other program here on the station but uh look my guest on the show today is someone who you can safely say has never been able to take anything too seriously so much so that he recently gave up a very good paying job a secure job as a radio host right when he was about to have a baby for the insecurity of ending up touring as a comedian again his name is dave thornton it's a pleasure having him on the show but look dave i must say you're an idiot what about the kid? So the dread of anxiety has just hit me right now. Now that you've just put it succinctly in two <laughs> sentences, I'm like, oh, God, you're exactly right. Uh, what's interesting about that, man, is I used to work on breakfast radio down in Melbourne, commercial radio, and I've no doubt you've done those kind of hours before. Definitely. So you're getting up at a rancid time in the morning. And that was kind of wearing thin after a while. I'd done four years of it. Uh, and now now my child is waking me up at the same time for no money. So it's an easy transition, really, isn't it? I'm doing it, it pro bono, bro. <laughs> this is how I'm working right now. And so so nothing much has changed in a way in that regard. Like, you're still working on the time, same time frame, I guess. But look, like, what? I mean, going back to just, like, that kind of lifestyle, uh, but then with a kid, I mean, going back to the circuit as a kid, I mean, what, that's a big decision. Yeah, it is. Like, I love stand-up. I'll always do stand-up. And, I mean, it is interesting in the mornings because, yeah, at least in commercial radio, it doesn't matter how much you hated the music, you could always be like, all right, guys, well, here's Tiesto, and then I get four minutes off to go get a coffee. Your child doesn't (laughs) adhere to those rules, mate. You can't just throw to some, you know, Ariana Grande and then go, (laughs) yep, cool, okay, sit this one out for four minutes. But, man, it's fine. It's just things just change. You know, like, I did gigs last night up here in Sydney, and, you know, you... um, Rather than just saying, right, how much of the bar tab have we got? <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen tonight. You're like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go get some sleep. I'm going to make sure I have a nice walk in the morning. Like, you know, so it just- almost keeps you sensible in some sort of way. I mean, it like, has to unless you're, you are an actual idiot, you know? Serge, so I'll let you know. If everyone, <laughs> most people listening probably aren't parents. And I'll let you know the kid always wins. Like, you can, you can try to be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'll, I'll smash it tonight. I'll see how we go. No, no, no. They're going to be up. They're going to want your attention. They win. So you just have to adhere to those rules and i guess like as well there's some sort of way in which maybe the lifestyle of of doing your own stand-up again and getting that circuit is more conducive than than doing this crazy you know early morning radio shift when you've got a kid you know what i mean like is there a level where you get to spend more time with the kid i guess 100 percent. i gotta get to hang out with her most of the day you know when i'm around her she just does stupid stuff as well that makes me laugh like funny thing is she's like a conduit to being a moron but everyone goes what a great dad you know like like i can i had her at uh, the supermarket the other day and I'm just picking her up and, and, like, flying her around the aisles. Like, I'm picking... She's only little. She's only 90 months old. And you just, you know, I'm shooting her around like she's a spaceship. And everyone's like, what a great dad. You're like, no, this is the kind of stupidity that I've always wanted to do. And now I have the vessel that can let yeah, me do yeah. it. It's funny, though, right? Like, don't you think in society, it's like whenever someone sees a father doing anything with a kid, they're just like, oh, what a great dad. Because it's almost, like, not the norm. But, like, if you see a mother just... With a kid, people are just like, oh, there's a mum. Do you think there's a funny way in yeah. which we get kind of some kind of hall pass? Because, like, men are societally, I guess, seen to never be the kind of 
parenting one, I guess. Sergio, you're exactly right. It's like the conversations too are slightly competitive. I'll talk to my partner and she'll talk to uh, the other mothers and mothers group. And, you know, it's a bit like, oh, what did your child get up to today? And, you know, like <laughs> some, some of the mums do this stuff where they go, oh, like, oh, we, uh, we crawled today. So that was great. You're like, we, we did. Crawled. Did we? <laughs> like, that's great for your kid. It's a little embarrassing for you because you're 31. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, weird. <laughs> so there's that. But dads, it's like a race to the bottom. You know what I mean? You're going, how'd you go today? Oh, my God. Like, you know, the little asshole shadow self, and I didn't realise for like an hour and a half, and then there's high fives all around, you know? It's, and it's like you're just talking about how everything's stuffed up, yeah. and that's that's more the way, that you, the angle that you take. Totally. And I guess, like, obviously this is, like, something that is great fodder for you when it comes to your comedy as well, because there's so much humour in, in being a child and having a child. Oh, man. So this this honestly happened. This was, oh, it was now a while ago because uh, I get up so early and then we're waiting to go to a cafe. I just needed caffeine and we're there. And my daughter, she only has a couple of words now and she has mama and dada, but she calls everyone mama and dada. Like she's just learned it. So just <laughs> indiscernible. We're sitting there uh, having brekkie and there's a guy sitting there who, look, <laughs> Sergio would have hoped he'd just gone for a ride. <laughs> he was wearing head to toe lycra. If oh, you one had of those ones, Good. Yeah, you yeah. need to be on a list. Mm. But he, um, yeah, he was sitting there, and there's nothing funnier than watching a dude who's in his like mid twenties, looking all cool, and that facade breaks down real quick when your toddler goes over to him, points at him, and says "Dada," and this guy's face just the blood drained from it. <laughs> he jumped on his twelve speed and was out of there real quick. No way, that's so classic. So in a way, it's like it's this a barrier between you and and all these other people that you don't have to deal with because she just goes around and freaks people out all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. so good. She's better than any of those, you know, any crazy you can have sitting on a corner, any dude that smells like burnt yogurt and is trying to. You know, rabbiting on about the word of god it's like no you just put a toddler in front of people especially young dudes they'll freak out <laughs> that's so classic well look out we're gonna get into talking about your childhood next but before we do that we are going to take a song um suck my kiss red hot chili peppers i mean what does this song mean to you mate this was because i grew up in geelong so for any sydney siders you know it's equivalent of newcastle or wollongong that kind of area uh, i was a surfy kid and this was almost i remembered it was Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots. That was basically when I was a young teenager. That was what I listened to. And Suck My Kiss was like and Blood Sugar Sex Magic was like the first album we just listened to ad nauseum. So I thought I'd take a stroll down memory lane. Well, I'm sailing. Yeah. Oh 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 y
Kiss! You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is comedian, presenter, bit of an actor as well at some points in time as well, nah, sort of. Sure, let's sure, put a let's question mark at the end of that. In there too. Dave Thornton, he's, he's a lovely bloke. We've just been talking about his kid, but now we're going to talk about you as a little tacker. I mean, so you just said you grew up in Geelong, but yeah. I mean, what were you like as a, as a kid? Were you, in, were you in, I guess, like a bit of an idiot like you still are now? <laughs> <laughs> Consistently. Consistent. Yeah, yeah. Man, like I said, I grew up in Geelong. I was a surfy kid. Uh, it was either play footy or surf. Uh, and I was too thin of frame to be playing footy or anything like that. Um, a few broken bones? Yeah, I just was never... Like, my parents were both immigrants. It's just footy wasn't a thing. Um, man, I actually been just... Because I went down and visited my mum on the weekend. And we went through the old photo album. And I've been posting them on Instagram. Because some of the photos from me as a teenager... <laughs> It's just hilarious because it's. it looks like I've realised in hindsight my facial features are too big for my head at the time. It was, <laughs> it was like I ordered them from America and because they work in feet and inches and not centimetres, it's like I'd misjudged the measurements. <laughs> and since I bought them, I had to use them anyway because like all my features just grew without the rest of my skull catching up. It is horrendous. It's a horrendous look. I feel like, though, that's something that I feel like a lot of teens can relate to, though, right? Of course. <laughs> like, it's such an awkward time for, you, for, for anyone in their life. I mean... What were some of the most awkward situations that you got yourself into as a teen? Man, I I remembered <clears throat> Okay, two two situations and of course they had to involve girls. <laughs> yeah. Because that's all the most embarrassing and pungent situations that you can ever think. I mean one time I was You're right though. Okay, so this proves that I was obviously consistently an idiot. Because <laughs> I remembered one one girl uh like I used to do a thing with 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 my dude mates where uh I think I saw it on a movie where you, you grab them, kind of hug them, you put your hand over their mouth and then kiss their mouth. Like, you know, it's yeah, one of those things like, yeah, oh, we've yeah, kissed, yeah. but we haven't because yeah, yeah, my yeah. hand's between, obviously, yeah, yeah. our lips. It's a classic, really. Classic manoeuvre. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was this girl that I kind of liked and things were kind of going well, but then I thought, oh, you know, like this will be a bit of fun. And maybe, I guess, in your teenage brain, like that'll should be like, <laughs> oh, so he does want to kiss me kind of thing. <laughs> and I went to do it and we are just we were sitting on a bed awkwardly, like... Uh, like as teenagers do, like nothing more was happening. And I kind of did it, but I think because I was so nervous, she kind of fell back a bit and then cracked her head on the windowsill that the bed was against. So it was like, it was one of those things where you're just like, oh, this has not gone well. I was trying to be a bit of a tool. And this poor girl who I think we ended up actually even dating because he was just like, why did you just do that? And you're like, I don't know. I didn't mean to. And because you're so klutzy and everything, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And not, you think you can't beat that. But then I remembered a couple of years later uh, with another girl. That makes me sound like I'm a pants man, but it was just <laughs> a few years no, but later. This is, this is what you did when you were that age. You, you used to just bounce between so-called girlfriends, boyfriends, just like that. Yeah, you know that. Yeah. Like like four weeks was a long time in relationship yeah. world. It was huge. When you were a teenager. Four, four weeks was massive. Yeah, you know, I weeks. used to go da- like you know a couple of days and thought that was good. Right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Four weeks we're saving for a house deposit. Yeah. Do we really need this? <laughs> and I remember I, I remember I was this time kissing a girl, which is good. So I'd, I'd, at least I progressed. And she started getting no. I started getting a blood nose. That's right. Because <laughs> so, I remembered at the time just thinking, oh, you know, I've, oh. I, I must be having a runny nose. This oh. is wrong. And then trying to continue on. And then as I looked at her, she looked like something. She was like Carrie from, you know, like oh, horror movie. Just blood all over her face. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Those situations are killer. Like when you're a teen, how do you recover from that? They scar you. Like I remember, 
you know, having similar embarrassing moments as a teen and you just felt like the world was going to end. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I know. And you think you'll never recover and you just think, oh, God, this is never going to work out. <laughs> like in this now with my partner, Nikki, if I started getting a blood nose while we were snogging, I'd be like, this is so funny. <laughs> this is so funny. Quick, let's get a photo. We'll put this up on Instagram. She's like, this can't happen. It's so <laughs> classic. And I mean, and I guess what, at what point did like you start – being comedic, I guess, like finding jokes. Was that, you know, in your childhood, in your teens or a bit later on? Man, I, uh, like I was, I was always a bit of an idiot. You're right. Um, <laughs> but people always say you're a class clown. You're like, no, because I had the wherewithal to not get myself in trouble. Like you talk to a lot of comedians and they'll say, I wasn't the nutcase at school. Cause usually the guy that was so like, who was the wrecking ball through the class who would just make everyone laugh but not think about it he's quite often the guy that's in jail now because he's just like nah he had no respect for the teacher no respect for the classroom would maybe get laughs or whatever but just not care yeah but yeah i kind of had the wherewithal to be like look i can make a joke i kind of push it a bit but at least be almost charming enough to the teacher to kind of get away with it because i knew i didn't want to i wasn't stupid enough to think i wanted to get punished I you think know? as well, like uh, uh, something I, I've found with comedians in, in, like, I mean, it's probably a gross generalization, but I've, I've found that the majority of comedians that I've ever had anything to do with are hyper intelligent. And I guess, you, <laughs> well, like, well, no, but like, you know what I mean? To, to that wit, you know, the ability to function on a high level. So, like, I can imagine that there's a level to which a lot of comedians, are, are the quiet little guy at the back of the corner is very, very quick and really observant of what's going on around them. Because you have to be a, an observer to be able to be good at comedy, right? Yeah, and I think as you went through high school, you then found your niche. You know, like I do like media studies and I was a kind of artsy kid as well. So I do graphic design and arts class. And, you know, then you you found in a kinship with the teachers because they're like, oh, yeah, you get it. Like you're in media class. We're watching a movie and I'm kind of giving it shit. But the teacher's like, yeah, you're spot on. Like that's <laughs> we're watching The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage, and that is some terrible acting. Exactly. Like you've, 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 True. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, you've nailed very it. Very bad. <laughs> yeah, Michael Bay has made a terrible film here. You know, so so you would find that it kind of did work for you. But I never. We were a musical school. Like we, uh, my high school was all about musicals. And look, I'm not I'm not rubbishing anyone in a musical. Full respect for anyone who's in it. <laughs> I to this day hate musicals. Yeah, I don't. I don't get them to be honest. I'm honestly am baffled by them. There's a few things like that that I'm baffled by. Musicals. I'm kind of baffled by opera. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, I get it, man. I get that. Like to me, because like I, I love music. I love theatre. But that's just because there's two good things. You put them together. It doesn't make it great. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's like you know um, it's like I like shoes. I like being comfortable. Crocs and go fuck themselves. You know it's. <laughs> Two good things put together does not make it better. True. And so I used to, and, and musical kids, look, they'll have to admit, any musical kid listening, you'll have to admit this. During high school, they're just so showy-offy, it's nauseating. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's like the, um, uh, what's the other thing that people do with um, that impromptu kind of acting stuff? What, what's that called? Um, oh, impro. And, um, impro, yeah, yeah. Like those kind of things. Like it's so, the people who do it are so like, mm. I'm, I'm the best. Totally. And they're sitting on a stool uh, or sitting on a, you know, a staircase at, at school and everything's a song. Mm. You know, they're sitting there and twirling around and doing little dance routines and singing about <laughs> the Zoopa Doopa they've just had or whatever they're doing. And I was always like, oh, man, this is too much. I can't connect with this. And so I never really got into it then. But then when I 
like I sound like an old man, man, but this is pre-internet. So the stand-up you got was on Hey Hey Saturday, mm. and I remember not understanding what exactly what it was. I'm like, this is just a guy being funny. I never knew it was called stand-up. And then my old man would watch we'd watch Mark's Brothers movies, and we'd watch Abbott and Costello, and we'd watch all the old movies, and even the Warner Brothers cartoons. They're funny, man. And so then you started watching The Simpsons, you started watching this comedy, and then you're like, oh, yeah, this is something I want to do. And my old man passed away when I was 19. He was in a band. And I think it was just a realisation of like, oh, yeah, because the band never worked out. He ran his own business, but he was never really happy with it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, if you don't do what you really want to do, or, or in that area... You're just miserable. You're just working a job until you're 60 and then who knows, you can fall off the perch. So it kind of just gave me a bit of like, oh yeah, I should do this and just see what happens. That's a great, great way to get into it and a great inspiration. Look, we might talk a little bit more about your parents after this. So you're listening to Dave Thornton on Out of the Box and FBI Radio. We've got to get onto the tunes though first. Next song you got for us is another classic really, Gin and Juice, Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Well, I thought, man, because... I'd just seen... uh, What was the documentary on Netflix? Uh... The, oh, is it the one where it's about the the rap the rappers? The, like, yes, the defiant ones. The defiant ones. That's it. Yeah. Jimmy Iovine from um, Interscope Records and Dr. Dre. But it's funny because Interscope Records had all these guys: they had the Chronic, Dr. Dre, Snoop, all the West Coast guys, and then they also had uh, like Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson. Interesting. And I, eh? I mean, that's so funny because in the nineties, that's exactly. I was listening to on one hand. Pearl Jam and Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then on the other hand, I'm listening to Gangster Rap. And I'm like, how do those two reconcile? That's what the 90s were like. Yeah. you just like, these These feel so far apart, but they weren't. Mm. They were from the same area. Yeah. And so so we used to listen to Snoop Dogg. It's just suburban kids in Geelong just thinking, I get it. We didn't get it. I'm With so much drama in the LBC, it's kinda hard being Snoop D-O-double G, but I somehow, some way keep coming up with funky ass shit like every single day. May I kick a little something for the G's and Make a few ends as I breeze through Two in the morning and the party still jumping Cause my mama ain't home I got bitches in the living room getting it on And they ain't leaving till six in the morning So what you wanna do? Shit, I got a pocket full of rubbers And my homeboys do too So turn off the lights and close the doors But, but what? We don't let them home Yeah So we gon' smoke a ounce to this G's up, hoes down Why you motherfuckers bounce to this? Laid back With my mind on my money and my money on my mind Rolling down the street Smoking in now Sipping on dinner and Laid back With my mind on my money and my now, money on my mind Now back I got me some sequins gin Everybody got their cups but they ain't chipped in Now this type of shit happens all the time you gotta get yours, but fool, I gotta get mine Everything is fine when you're listening to the D.O.G. I got the cultivating music that be captivating me Who listens to the words that I speak As I take me a drink to the middle of the street And get to Mac into this bitch named Shady She used to be the homeboy's lady 80 degrees when I tell that bitch please Raise up off these N.U.T.s Cause you get none of these at ease As I mob with the dog pound, feel the breeze Be I, Chuck Jess 
From the city of Compton to serve me, not with a cherry on top. Cause when I bust my nut, I'm raising the box to cock. Don't get upset, girl, that's just how it goes. I don't love you hoes, I'm out the door, and I'll be. out of the box and FBI radio my name is Serge Negus my guest here today is comedian Dave Thornton now look before the the break we were talking about your parents you're saying oh, your dad was in a band and but you also said something earlier your, your parents were immigrants where did your parents come from my father was English and then my mother's Dutch wow uh, so they are all well my father was born in 39 says so exactly when World War II broke out uh, mum was born born post-war mm-hmm. so they both migrated over in like the 50s of memory um and and yeah so yeah it's interesting kind of their upbringings you know my my grandfather my opa was a prisoner of war for like three years um and my mum's older sister and older brother they were all born pre-war and then the wars between them so mum's like considerably younger than than her family um and it's just yeah it's an interesting situation especially the dutch side of it uh, just growing up with migrants and, you know, um, I mean, the Dutch are kind of this world, <laughs> mum always used to joke, you're kind of halfway between it because, you know, especially my mates in Melbourne, you talk about, you know, the Greek and Italian families and they kind of were ostracised. They were just seen as wogs and, okay, yeah, you're over there. For sure. But my uncle used to talk about, like, you know, he goes, you're a white wog, so you're nothing, you kind of walk into a bar, no one would think anything of it, you open your mouth and then all these guys are like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> going on here he snuck in yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow it's such an interesting thought I, it's not something like I, i've ever heard about but it's true like i can imagine that would have been quite an interesting dynamic to try and manage i mean yeah what was it what was that like for them yeah because the dutch is also weird because they've got a very good grasp of english as well mm. like my alma was always she'd talk english at home uh so dutch and my father my father being english too was like you know what's well, england why would you learn another language why like like there's a reason we took over the world. He had that very yeah, old yeah. empire view of like, yeah, well, I mean, there's a reason all of us speak this. Yeah. So why would you deviate from that? Yeah. And so I never learnt Dutch. Um, that's why, because then my alma and my mum could talk Dutch. I knew when they were trying mm. to organise something about me and my brother and not wanting us to know. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. It's like they want to organise your birthday present, so they start talking it's about perfect, talking in Dutch. Really? But the only thing was, there's no Dutch translation for Transformers. That's still. <laughs> <laughs> so you could hear it. You'd hear it just in the mix of all the fluten and fluten. And then hang on a second. I think I heard you saw you say Dinobots. Okay, sweet. That's coming. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Um, it was cool though. I mean, it's just it's always. 
It just is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Like that's that's just your upbringing. Your, da- your dad was a, in a band. Like who, who was the band where they they do well? <laughs> Man, we know them. I mean, in hindsight, I look back and think he was probably the equivalent of just a twenty first birthday DJ. Like I'm thinking. <laughs> Because they didn't have that then. You had to hire a band. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so there was, I'm sure he did write originals, but after a while it was covers and he performed all over Geelong in that area. And I mean, this was a time when Geelong is an hour away from Melbourne, but in the 60s and 70s, an hour is, it feels like a century, mm-hmm. you know, like that's. Yeah. So he was big kind of in the Geelong area. Like I remember growing up and. Yeah, people would all know him and all that kind of stuff. How good's that? But it was other time, man. It was always called like I think his first band was Peter Thornton and the Levi's, which I'm like, oh, great dad. <laughs> and then I think Peter Thornton and the Team Beats was another one that was yes. earlier. It was pretty whack, but they, you know, they were like growing up on weekends, they would put do little jam sessions and stuff like that, and yeah, that yeah. was kind of cool. His mates amused those. That's awesome. It's it's always good hearing about uh, the parents and the creative minds that go, you know, I guess lead to the, their kids as well, ending up in that sort of area. What about your mum? Did she have, where, what sort of things did she do? Was she creative as well? Mum, uh, mum's in the humanities. So she was a nurse, a midwife, uh, and then she was actually the uh, nurse at my high school. No way. Up. What was that like? Did, was, did you get shit from your friends or like, Man, was it you... tough or did they, they like it? So it's an interesting twist because I knew the kids that were always like they're parents were teachers and that's hell because mm, mm. shit would rain down on those kids because <laughs> they can't rip through the teacher so they just find that child and just take it out on them but weirdly enough being the nurse i mean a people only go in to see her if there's something wrong but then mum understood too like she's we've talked about this since and she said a lot of the rough kids like, you know, kids don't act up for no reason, usually. Yeah, Something's yeah. gone wrong at home. Totally. Something like that. And mum could understand that. So that, and they were often the kids that would try to get out of class. Mm. But she understood that maybe things weren't going too well. So she was a kind of a counsellor as well. Yeah, okay, yeah. So all the kids that would hang out in the back and smoke darts and, like, were bullies and stuff usually went to the nurse a lot, <laughs> got to know mum. <laughs> mum would be like, you know, so, yeah. all right, mate, I know what you're doing. You're trying to get out of class. It's fine. I see what you're doing. What do you, maybe we can compromise. Maybe you can just be here for 10, 15 minutes and go back into class. You know, she would try and work it out. Mm. So they would all like her. So, like, I would be the nurse's son, and they were like, no, no, you're right, you're right. That is classic. No so, way. So, so it this worked weird in your favour. So it worked in my favour because also she understood most kids are just, it's bullshit. So she'd give them a couple of jelly babies or something. Like, she'd have a large <laughs> jar of lollies to be like, that'll fix it. And they're like, mm. yeah, probably will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, she needs to give awesome. them glucose and then just send them off. So then I would be in their good favour. So it kind of worked out all right. That is awesome. That's such a good story. Well, look, uh, moving on to the, the songs again, though. Insomnia, Faithless. I mean... <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, well, where's the inspiration for picking this one? Man, this was of a time and a place. I even listened to it before I came in here and I thought, oh, man, this just reminds me when I went overseas and I was basically living in London and Dublin and Europe and I was backpacking around. And this is when you had mini discs, my friend. Yeah, f- I remember those. My you mom, do? My mum bought, bought me and my brother mini discs like and they they came out just before the MP3 player and she yeah. bought them being like this is the future and then like a year later like MP3s were a thing and I was just like how could you be defunct so quickly and be so wrong mum <laughs> my mate Nick did exactly that he put everything he put it in his car he had a mini disc player in his oh. car he had a mini disc stack at home and was like yeah men in one mini disc there's five CDs in it why would you, why would you do why would you not do this and I backpacked around with mini discs and you, you said like then 
It was like iPods yeah. came along and they They're just yeah. forgotten. Yeah. But because this was a time when, yeah, I was just backpacking. <laughs> if there's any, like, you know, police officers listening, of course, this is a joke. But hypothetically, if I'd maybe found ecstasy for the first time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you start listening to this music and you're like, this is unbelievable because this was the early 2000s. So all the bands that I was listening to now just seem to fuck off out the window and you're going, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> And so I remember seeing him live, travelling around. This was always playing. So, yeah, Faithless was definitely a time in my life. Fundamental movement So when it's black This insomniac Take an original tack Keep the beast in my nature Under ceaseless attack I get no sleep I can't get no sleep
You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is comedian and radio presenter and presenter all around the traps, really, Dave Thornton. Now, look, mate, something that I've always thought about is, is there was is this book like called 10,000 Hours or something like that where it looks at like how you can do anything, right, if, if you put the amount of hours into it. Is comedy one of those things or do you have to just be inherently funny to be good at comedy? Look, I get it. I think... I mean, yes, you do have to be funny. Mm. I mean, I think there would be things like, say, if you looked at, say, you want to become a jockey. Yeah, you've got to be into horses. But the truth be known, if you're six foot ten, you're not going to be a jockey, man. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could be a strapper. You could be a horse trainer. You could do all the other things. You're not going to be a jockey. Sure. So comedy is kind of the same thing. I mean, if you want to be a comedian, cool. But the natural attributes have to be there mm. or it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But the 10,000 hour principle, which I think was... Malcolm Gladwell, I think he was the one who coined that. Where the best example I can think is like the Beatles when they said when they played in Germany before they were the quote unquote Beatles and they were smashing out songs for hours on end. They had a, I think they were in Hamburg or something and they said they just played for like eight, 10, 12 hours a day at this bar. Yeah. The guy's like, keep playing. And they're like, oh God, I've got to keep playing. And they just <laughs> learn every song, every chord, everything. So it was just in their head. So tight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so then they could write because they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I can use that as a source of inspiration or whatever. And with comedy, it only ever exists in front of an audience. Mm. That's the strangest thing. You can write and you can have as many batshit crazy ideas as you want in your notebook. But until you say it to an audience and it gets a laugh, it doesn't exist. Yeah. What about like, I guess like within, like is something I've noticed and thought of as a way of figuring out whether it's possible for you to do is like, you know how within your circle of friends, right? Yeah, yeah. You might have a particular banter or ability to make your friends laugh that's very specific to you. Yeah. Is that something that you can then take uh, to the next level and be able to go, okay, I can be funny among this audience. Can I then take those same things that I'm using there into a bigger realm? Yeah, man. It's Have you ever heard the dissecting the frog theory? No, no, no. Which is you want to know how the frog works. Mm. So you, you cut the frog in half. Of course. You yeah. check out all its workings. It's like now you know how the frog works, but you've killed the frog. <laughs> you know, and like what you were saying, when you make all your mates laugh, you subconsciously understand how it all works. You're just like, yep, yeah, cool. So you probably don't know on a conscious level why it works. And that funny thing is when you just start doing stand-up, you have to find out now consciously what elements to pull and what things actually work to make it work in that area, that contrived area rather than... Because, you know, so many times, especially when you turn up to private functions, we get booked for like corporate events and stuff like that and you're going to go in and they've always had a couple of wines, a couple of beers... Those dudes are like sometimes you're up against a dude who you can tell is like, oh, I could have done this. Cynical. I probably could have yeah, done yeah. this. And you're like, Yeah, you could have. We all could have on a Saturday night after a couple of beers around your mates. That's the flattest track you're going to have. Everyone likes you. Everyone knows you. You've got to do all that. Now, what you've got to do is like on Breakfast Radio, you've got to do it now at six in the morning. You've got to do it when you turn up to this function where, you know, they half don't know who you are. You've got to be able to. And they're waiting for you to fail in a way because people like to, you know, think that, you know, they're better and they like to see people fail, like in comedy, I think, you know. Totally. And in Australia. Because there's a lot of ego involved, you know. I'm totally. The audience and the the comedians, you know. You come up against this so much. I've come up in parties where dudes are just like, so you're a stand-up comedian, eh? Yeah, right. Okay. I thought thought you think you're funny. And you're like, bro, what kind of, what kind of like darkness do you have in your heart that I'm just a person who wants to make people laugh and you find that insulting? Like what kind of, what kind of human are you? But, but man, it it is a bit of that 10,000 hours thing. I was talking to a guy last night after a gig. who's like, oh, you wouldn't mind getting into it. I'm like, you just got to do it. You got to do it. Mm. You got to do it. And you got to get your reps up. And when I was younger, because I started doing it like 14 years ago, 
it's great. You just dive into it and you're doing every gig possible. And now you're more discernible because you're like, I'm not turning up to that shit heap. I know what kind of gig it's going to be. <laughs> but you've just got to do it and then, you know, find out what works, what doesn't, what, you know, what things you can use. Because it's not just all about jokes. Sometimes it's your persona on stage. It's your whether you can charm them, niggle them, whatever whatever your thing is. Have you, you ever had that. times where you've you've come off stage and it's just you've just felt like oh my god I I, I I don't know if I could do this anymore and you've just been destroyed like your soul's been destroyed you, you maybe you stuffed up maybe the audience was terrible how do you get over those moments if you've had them like, <laughs> yeah used to be drugs and alcohol I <laughs> yeah I've had those ones where you just you man more often than not it's all trial and error mm. and I've had like especially early days you have so many gigs where you walk away and in hindsight you realise. Some of them, it wasn't your fault. It was honestly the room and the setup and the sh- and, and just some dickhead in the crowd or whatever it was. Oh, it probably was you and your jokes. That's for early days. <laughs> it was your fault. Um, the good thing is you've always got more gigs around the corner. You got to get up and do another one. Um, like I've almost, I've almost had my head kicked in at a gig. Really? What do you mean? So down in Melbourne, even when I mentioned this suburb, it still sends a chill down my spine. Surge. It's Cooey Rupp, which is a suburb outside of Cranbourne, which is about an hour out of Melbourne. Okay. And yeah. it was a footy club. We turn up there. And when you're younger, you do those kind of things because they want to do fundraiser for their footy club and whatever, and you just want to get paid. Okay, turn up. And I could tell this footy club wasn't going well. Like There wasn't great attendance. We won between the bands, but the band played for like played cover songs for like an hour, an hour and a half. Then, <laughs> because it was me and two other mates, we'd do 20 minutes of stand-up. So people would be, you know, parting away, dancing trying to sing along to Jesse's girl. And then they're like, now can everyone sit down? We've got some comedy. And they hated us. So my mate went on, Troy Kinney, who's like, you might know him from the Kinney show on Channel 7. He gets up, gets nothing. Yeah, band plays for another hour and a half. My mate Tom Seagit, he gets up, he performs, nothing. Now I'm on last, because we just used to rotate. It's like 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. So everyone's pissed. Man, I remember seeing the senior coach was outside and he was drinking with like a bunch of 15-year-olds and Bacardi Breeze and I'm like, this is not going to go well. These guys hate me. Oh, God. I got up, told like two jokes and I got nothing and I went, you know what, let's not waste our time. You guys want to party. I don't want to be here. Let's just leave it. And I I said, thank you so much. We'll bring the band back on. Cheers, guys. Walked off and then the the coach comes up to me and he's just like, he gets backstage. He goes, what the fuck was that? I'm like, mate, you didn't want to be here. They didn't want to be here. Just carry on with you. Don't pay me. It's fine. He's like, what do you mean don't pay you? He goes, how much money are you going to take? And I was like, man, my usual like 200 bucks. We're getting paid 200 bucks each. And he goes, what are you talking about? It was two grand. And I went, what? Oh. I said, what do you mean two grand? And he's like, because they went through a booking agent. This booking agent charged him, like gave us 600 bucks, 200 bucks each. Oh, my God. And then charged him 2,000 bucks. They charged oh. him 1,400 bucks himself just to book us. Oh. And I'm like, I don't know how you're going to get that money back. And he's oh, like, well, then you better get the fuck out of here. We're going to kick your head in. And he brought some of the other teammates in. I'm just like, I'm like a 26-year-old kid. I'm like, what? And there's me and two other comedians and a team full of footballers. That is a hairy and they're situation. Like, and they're like, you guys better leave now. If you twitch, if you turn around, we're going to kick your head in. So the three of us kind of walked out to our car and not said a word. <laughs> Man, I reckon it was like 40 k's back up the road. Yeah, we started giving him shit. <laughs> that is it's like, it's like we didn't say a word for about half an hour. We were like, like it's maybe still here. Maybe they got us bugged. I don't know. <laughs> Just seem running down the highway. <laughs> totally. Like the whole team. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is classic. What a story. Look, you're listening to Dave Thornton here on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and this is Out of the Box. Look, we've got to get on to the music again. The next song you got for us is Standing in the Way of Control by The Gossip. I mean, this is a bit of a random one, I have to say. Wait, why'd you pick this? Man, this is one of the best songs I've ever seen performed at the Meredith Music Festival. Yeah. If anyone knows that, it's in country Victoria at West, probably about an hour and a half's drive near Ballarat, really, of Melbourne. It's one of the... Well, it's to date the best festival I've ever been to. I usually go every year. Its policy is no dickheads, and there are no dickheads. It's amazing. Uh, they've got a natural amphitheatre where bands play. Only one band plays at a time. And when I saw these guys, it's one of my most vivid memories at the Meredith Music Festival. This went off. <laughs>
Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is comedian Dave Thornton. Now, look, something, I mean, that I'm always fascinated to hear about is is who comedians are inspired by, like what people and what characters they really get into. I mean, for you, who, who is it in the comedy world? Man, because now I watch so much comedy, it's almost like listening to music or even movies where you go, okay, what mood am I in and what do I feel like I want to watch? Because when you're younger, you know how you would, say, play an album or play music, just ad nauseum because you're obsessed. And now as I've become older, I'm almost like, right, what mood am I in to watch some stand-up today if I want to write or do whatever? Because I said earlier in the show, you know, I grew up on old Marx Brothers and, and, and like Abbott and Costello and, and a lot of those old-time comedies. But then as I started getting into stand-up, you know, there was Billy Conley, obviously. Love Billy Conley. Oh, man. Because <laughs> the strangest thing with Billy was you think when we were young, like, you just couldn't swear. You know, now, like, you hear, like, you know, we've both said shit, but, you know, and people, you're not going to bristle. You kind of go, okay, well, I just heard that. Like, this is a time when no one swore. Like, yeah, I didn't yeah. hear anyone swear on the TV. No adult swore in front of you. You watch Billy Conley swearing his head off and your parents are like, nah, he's right. <laughs> That's one of my favourite lines from Billy Colony is, he, is he's like, um, I tell you what I hate people saying is I, I hate it when people say they're looking for their remote control and they're like, oh, it's always the last place you look. Of course it is, you fucking idiot. You're not going to keep looking after. <laughs> like, it's just like that simplistic kind of genius, you know? Yeah, and like, and I mean... It's probably not BC to say it now. I didn't know him <laughs> as a human being, but Billy, um, sorry, not, uh, Billy Conley, um, uh, Bill Cosby, like, uh, yeah. because okay, yeah. mm. you see Bill Cosby himself, it's a great stand-up special. I know what kind of human being he is, and it's hard to reconcile that he was such a talent and such a horrendous human being. But, you know, as a stand-up, himself, I remember, was one of the first ones we ever saw as kids. And, you know, he did a whole bit about going to the dentist and when they're trying to have conversations with you. But, of course, the anaesthetics kicked in and you can't move your lips (laughs) and you're trying to... And, you know, we used to watch Fat Albert. That was his um, cartoon. And, you know, that was the first kind of stand-ups. But then Eddie Izzard was one of the first, like, absurdists that I saw. It was like, Mm. oh, my God, this is something else. I love absurdists, man. Yeah, like, here's the whole Death Star Canteen stuff, which is amazing, you know. And then then really, it's funny, I started pre-YouTube, which might blow some of your listeners' minds apart. And so so you'd get DVDs and you'd pour over DVDs, but you literally had to go and, you know, you'd watch it and do whatever. And then when YouTube kicked in, like, you had so many more international acts that you could just feed off. And again, I hate to say it, I don't know what it is with comedians, but like Louis C.K. when he came along mm-hmm. was incredible. He blew your mind apart because it's almost like he took that Billy Conley thing and took it to another level. It was dark. It was horrendous, but you just couldn't help but be laughing at it. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is incredible. Um, local guys uh, like Tom Gleason. Uh, I love Tom. He's always been, because we've worked together, you know, mates. Man, he just crushes. And I'm now at an, a stage in my uh, comedy life where now I'm looking at kids that are younger than me and I'm like, wow, you're amazing. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, Ronnie Chang and I are good mates, but when he came through, I was like, oh, this kid's unbelievable. And, like, Celia Piccola and I are good mates. And, like, she's a bit younger than me and started after me, but I'm like, you're amazing. Like, you just see them do stuff and you're like, yeah, that's... that's On point. On point. Hannah Gadsby, like her last show that I know now is off-Broadway in, in New York. You know, like, she's amazing. You know, Australia's so, got a good crop, doesn't it? Like, when it comes to comedy. Yeah, man. If you looked at the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala this year, it's on the ABC. If you can just look it up, I think, still on iView. The amount of younger comedians coming through. Like, when I started there, you would have... I was, like, the f- 
you know, the new kid that performed on the show. You'd have all the old hats. who were amazing. You know, Will Anderson's and Dave Hughes and Tom Gleason's and Judith Lucy's and Denise Scott's and those kind of guys. But you look at it now and it's like half the lineup is people that are just coming through that are just like Reese Nicholson and Nick Cody and Nazim Hussain. And I mean, Nazim's probably, like he arguably already made it. So, you know what I mean? Like just yeah. people who are just so talented. Killing it, hey? Well, look, uh, getting on to the music again, Dan Sultan, letter. What does this one mean to you, Dave? And Dan, I don't want to brag, mate, but he used to have a Channel 31 show. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he came on and he was awesome. I bumped into him a couple of times on the street. He always remembers me. I remember going to his gig. And it's just, you know, it's rock. It's just like what he puts together, kind of bluesy. It's just classic stuff. Mm. And it's really like... He's, he, he gets described sometimes as like the Aussie Springsteen kind of thing. Like he's a classic rock, you know? Like it's not many people do that these days. Totally. And he's sweating his ass off on stage. He's working. So you're like, yeah, man, good. You're mm. working for us. This is great. You know, when you're there, you get that energy at the gig. And he just... I, I just... It, this album particularly, I really loved. And I, I used to play this song... Uh, the, this was my walk on music for about four years nice. for gigs. So, yeah, enjoy. Sweet. All right, cool. Now we'll wrap it up and you can talk about the gig. You're listening to Out of the Box and FBO Radio. My guest here today has been Dave Thornton, comedian, who's here for a show tonight at the Comedy Store. Um, it's going on until Friday. Friday's the last show, but you can get tickets for tonight and for Friday's show. Correct? Yeah, mate, tonight yeah. Yeah, and tomorrow night. Yeah, Good yeah. stuff. And look, can you, can you run us through what's in a bit of what's in the show? What can people expect from you? Man, because, like we mentioned earlier in the show, I now have a year-and-a-half-old daughter, my life is like a three-kilometer radius from my life. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm talking about her, I'm talking about living at home, I'm talking about the crazies in my suburb in Brunswick, which is basically like walking around Redfern here, um, all the interesting sorts that I get to bump into. It's basically, you know, that's all my life and all the, you know, the stuff it's about. Well, mate, it's been awesome having you on the show here. If you do want to get tickets for that, you can jump online. Obviously, it's at the Comedy Store and it's uh, on tonight and on Friday night, 7 p.m. So go check that one out. Dave, thank you so much for coming on Out of the Box. We do have one last track, though, that you're going to play for us. What have you got for us? Mate, this I have is a Melbourne band who I saw at Woodford Festival this year, which is up kind of just out of Brisbane. Um they're called Vaudeville Smash. It's some of the happiest music I've ever listened to. Like, it's like this funk synth. When I saw them, I was like, this is joy. This is just <laughs> joy to listen to. So this is Vaudeville Smash. Amazing. Coming up next is Maya Bielek with lunch, and I'll be back next week. See ya. Oh, 